I don't talk about politics very often, right? I'm just going to go ahead and throw that out there. And, and, and if you want to hear a specific message about politics, I did, I did do an entire message about it in those archives on our website. There's a series called Can I Say That? And, and one of those is about politics. Go there and listen if you want a full sermon on it. But, but I, I want to I highlight something. The reason I don't talk about politics very often is, is simple, actually. It's because our hope is not in any type of government here on earth, right? Our hope is in heaven. But I do want to talk about something that I'm seeing more and more in this political conversation that people are having. And it ties directly into our message today. And it's this, that there's this commodity that politicians are using. And, and this commodity seems to be lucrative as we talk about politics today, and it's this, it's fear, right? It seems that everywhere I look, someone is using fear to get you on their side and to get you away from their opponent's side. And do you know why we do this? Do you know why politicians do this? Because it works, right? It works. It has, it has always worked, and it will continue to work unless you and I know something better, right? Unless you and I know how to combat fear correctly, fear will always work. And so let me ask you this question. Are there places where you can sense fear is creeping into your thinking, right? That fear is creeping into your heart and soul. Have you ever been in a place where this happened? Have you ever been in a place where fear has become louder than truth? And if you've been in that place, maybe this is true, too, that you're not quite sure what to do when fear is louder than truth. You see, church, we're in a place where fear has entered in, into this political conversation, into our conversation about coronavirus and in and, and, and many areas that we find our lives in, and maybe you don't know what to do. Well, here's the simple answer that you will be told. The simple answer that you'll be told, told is, is to vote this way or to vote that way or stand for this person or belittle that person. Because here's how you know fear is alive and active is when it does this. Because fear asks you to hate those who aren't your enemy. That's what fear does. Fear creates this wall of division that, makes, that asks you to hate the person that's on the other side of that wall and to hate them as an enemy. Now let me ask you this. Anybody getting tired of fear lately? Anybody getting tired of being told to hate? If so, then just give me a like right here on Facebook if you're watching it on Facebook. Because today we're going to see what brings us to a place where fear is really loud and really large. And more importantly, we're also going to see that when we're there, when fear is loud and when fear is large, that there is something better for us there too. Now you can turn with me to James chapter 5. That's where we're going to be today. James chapter 5 verses 13 through 18. And in our last sermon in this series called Summer Essentials, I hope that this series has been helpful for you, by the way. Right. Next week, we're going to take some time and talk about what church looks like in the midst of, of this season of transition from life as we knew it six months ago to, to life as, as it will be after COVID. And I know many of us want things to go back to the way they were. I do too. But I hate to be the one to break the news to us. 
I don't think things are going to ever go back to the way they were. I think these last six months has, has, has changed the world forever. How has it changed the world forever? That's still unclear. We're in this season of transition. But y'all, I want you to hear me on this. Change, change is nothing new for the church. Right? The, the church, the big C church that has, that has been around for thousands of years has, has lived in change after change after change after change. And not only has it lived through change, is it, it has adapted and it has thrived in the midst of change. And next week we're going to talk about what Fellowship Asheville looks like as we adapt and thrive in this, in this new uh, environment that we find ourselves in and even in this transition from what was to, to what will be next week we're going to talk about the church this week though i want to talk about you i want to talk about me and in line with today's sermon about fear here's what i want us to agree on before we get we before we jump into this and before we we even talk about next week about the church i want us to agree on this that we're not going to let fear lead us into this next season of ministry you're not going to let fear lead you into this next week ahead of you well, let's see where James' word, words lead us. Let's look at verse 13. James chapter 5, verse 13 says this. If anyone among you is suffering. Now, suffering is something, this theme, that we see through the entire Bible. Right? Just, just listen to this. Uh, there have been people uh, in the Bible, these great heroes of the faith, and suffering is always a part of of their life. It's always a part of, of their life story. Abraham and Sarah, they couldn't have children and, 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 and suffered through that for decades and decades. Jacob dealt with this physical pain from wrestling uh, with God, a match which, by the way, he lost. Joseph was wrongly put in prison and, and suffered through that. Moses suffered under the pressure of leadership. The prophets of the Old Testament suffered pain and in, in physical death. Jesus suffered on the cross. Paul faced some physical ailment. We're not quite sure what it was, but we know it caused him pain and caused him suffering. And y'all, these are just snapshots. And I could go on and on and on and point to, to any person in our Bible and there's suffering attached to their story. You see, suffering is everywhere in the Bible. And as a matter of fact, according to our Bible, you can't separate your faith from suffering. The two go hand in hand. And actually, one of the, the marks of a genuine faith in Jesus is suffering. And so something that we need to understand from the very beginning as we look at these verses in James is this, is that suffering is an expected part of our faith. Another New Testament writer named Peter uh, in, in his letter, 1 Peter says this, 1 Peter 4 says, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. In other words, Paul's saying, listen, y'all, it's normal to suffer. And suffering can take all kinds of forms. It can, it can be suffering that we actually bring upon ourselves because of consequences of, of bad choices in our lives. It can be suffering that, that, that like we're in now, we're in this season of a pandemic, and so there's stuff that's way out of our control that's, that's putting this pressure on our life that's causing suffering. And the deal with suffering is that if it's prolonged, 
It might leave you wondering if your faith is good enough. Prolonged suffering is one of those arenas where fear can get really, really loud. Prolonged suffering makes room for fear. And so here's what prolonged suffering can feel like. Prolonged suffering can actually feel like God doesn't care anymore. You see, but no matter where your suffering comes from or, or how long it has lasted, James shows us what to do. And he says, if, any one of, if anyone among you is suffering, let him pray. Now, praying is this discipline that we enter into in many ways, isn't it? Some, some people get on their knees <clears throat> to pray, right? Some people clasp their hands together and pray. Some, uh, some people stand, some people sit, some people open their hands, some people raise their hands. Some of you, some of us go on walks and we go on hikes and, and we pray when we're, when we're out sitting by a river. But here's the deal with prayer. No matter how you enter into prayer, the prayer is designed to have all of us leave the same way. And, and that ending the same way as this, that we submit to God at the end of that time of prayer. Because you see, prayer is this pathway to submitting to God. As a matter of fact, I would venture to say that if you don't leave your time of prayer submitting to God, you're not done praying yet. You see, because when we pray, we submit ourselves to God's plan and His authority and His, and His rule. We submit ourselves to, to obedience and following him and his voice and in his word. And the writers of the Psalms do this all the time. This summer I've been reading through the Psalms for my own personal time of, of worship. And, and there's always this phrase that comes up, and I, and I love it. It's, 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 it's the psalmist will always start, not always, but some of the Psalms will start where they're just complaining and whining to God. And, and, and what's great is it's beautiful to God. Right? He's not afraid of our complaints. He's not afraid of our whining. And as you read the psalm, there's this phrase that always comes out, and it's, but God. So it's, I feel this way. All of this is going wrong. All of this is what's happening, but God. And then there's always a shift in the psalm. And there's this moment where everything changes. Like in Psalm 73, 26, it says this. It says, my flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. So James's point is when we suffer, if we don't want fear to get loud, we submit ourselves to God. That's what prayer is. That's what this word prayer means. It means kneeling before God, submitting ourselves before God. Look at the rest of verse 13. It says, if anyone among you is suffering, let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise. Now, this is, this is an odd one, right? You go from, from suffering uh, to, to being cheerful. And so what does cheerful, being cheerful, have to do with being in a place where fear can get loud? See, it's in those moments, in those seasons of life, when things are going just great that we actually think we don't need God. Right? I remember one of our first trips to Disney World uh, with both kids. We had learned of, of Luke's diagnosis of autism, and so our world was reeling and spinning and trying to figure out uh, what life was, was looking like with, with Luke and, and how he saw the world. And, and, and we made this trip to Disney World. And I remember being there at Disney World, and, and, and it was like this breath of fresh air. And here's why. Because they understood autism. As a matter of fact, they understood it more than we did. 
And they made all these special allowances for us because, because they knew what it was like to be in the park uh, with, with autism. And they wanted it to be not just a great experience for us as parents. They wanted it to be a great experience for Luke. And y'all, it was this incredible time. It was the first time after Luke's diagnosis where, where we actually didn't feel the weight of Luke's autism. It was this beautiful time, this beautiful place. We were all having great fun. It was awesome. And it was, it was as we were walking through Disney World, we had been there for a few days. I remember right where we were. We were at Ariel's Grotto where, where you can see Prince Eric's castle off in the distance for those of you who have been there. And I realized that I hadn't talked to God all day. I hadn't prayed at all. As a matter of fact, in that moment, I wasn't sure if I'd prayed in the last few days. And do you know why? This is what scared me. I didn't need him. We were at Disney World. Life was good. Now, I needed him when the bill came afterward, but then I didn't need him, right? You see, when life is working, we forget our need for God. And when we forget our need for God, we can, even if only for a moment, forget that we need God. And when we think we don't need God, We live our life without engaging in this beautiful relationship that we have with God. Now, James knows that that is a very scary place to be. And and it was for those in his time, just like it was for us in our times. As a matter of fact, I think that's one of the, the chief tactics that Satan uses, is he will actually help make life really good for you, really comfortable for you, really easy for you. Because when he does, he knows you don't need God. And even though in Jesus you may have this good and right and personal and eternal relationship with God, if he can get you to not rely on that relationship, he's got you right where he wants you. He's got you out of the game. You see, he knows if it's a good life, it's really easy to forget that God is the one that gives us life. And so this is James's solution. When life is working, praise God. When life is working, take time to thank God. Because then you're reminded of your relationship with him and you're reminded of all the good things he gave you. And that's what, that's what I did at Disney World. Instead of feeling all down on myself for not praying, I was like, God, thank you that we're here. Thank you that, that, that they know how to help us in a way that we don't even know how to ask for help. See, look at this next one, because James gives a little more attention to this one, because it's actually probably a bigger issue than even suffering or being cheerful. And I think, I think it was when James wrote this letter, but I certainly know it is in the time we're living in right now. Look at verse 14. It says, is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church. Now, when we hear the word sick, we think of, of, well, we think of COVID. That's what we all think of right now. Like you can't cough right now in the store without people thinking that you've got the coronavirus. When we hear sick, that's what we think of. We think of physical illness. But, but in, in, old, in New Testament times when this was written, that word sick meant a whole range of things. It could mean anything from physical illness to mental illness to even spiritual illness. And all of these were lumped together. This term in particular actually captures the picture of someone that is completely worn out. They're exhausted. They're burned out. But it's also used of someone who's so sick they can't walk. And it's this idea of of if you're sick 
and you're worn out and you're exhausted and you can't walk, you need someone to lift you up. You see, this is a person who can't move forward on their own, that something is really wrong. And when something is wrong like this, we need the assistance of other people to lift us up because we can tend to, to be by ourselves, right? We, and, and we're in the South, and, and, and here's what that means. That means when you're sick, when you're worn out, you're exhausted, you just don't want to bother anybody, right? Well, James is saying, no, 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 no. Actually, that's the perfect time to bother someone. Because, see, when something is wrong, we wrongly isolate ourselves. And that's what James is, James is saying, don't do that. When, when, when you're tired and when you're exhausted and when you, when you can't walk by yourself, you call people to help lift you up. And he gives us a specific audience to call. And James' command, though, is to make that call and make that call to the elders of the church. And why them? Because they're the ones that can help, too. Look, look at how they can help. Look at verse 14. It says, and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And here's what the elders do when you call on them. And we have, we have a group of six men that are elders, and, and we love it when we can gather around someone and pray for them. We listen to their story, and we pray for them. Now, in the above situations, you have, you have people that are suffering, you have people that are cheerful, and, 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 and James says, listen, if you're, if you're suffering or you're cheerful, it's okay to pray for yourself. You're commanded to pray, but here, if you're worn out and you're exhausted and, and, and you, you can't do this on your own, you're actually commanded by James to have others pray over you. You see, when James's point is when something is wrong, call for help. Your job here is that when you've prayed and you've done what you know how to do, it's to ask for help. It's to make the call. Send the email. Shoot the text. Now here at Fellowship, you can do this in a number of ways. You can fill out that contact form that I talked about at fellowshipashville.com connect. You can submit a request to our prayer team. And they will faithfully pray over you and they will contact you if you want that. You know, if, 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 you're, if you call Fellowship Asheville Home, you can even join that prayer team and join the team of people that, that pray. And you can have the elders pray for you. Like I said, we're honored to pray any way that we can. You also have your growth group that I just talked about. You've got people in the circle with you that, that would love to pray with you and pray for you. Because look at what James says happens when you make the call. Verse 15 says this. It says, And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick, and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins one to another and pray for one another so that you may be healed. You see, what happens is when you reach out for help, there is this relationship that's there. And that relationship that's there can bring healing. Now, will it be the healing you expect? Maybe, maybe not, right? There might be physical healing, right? We have seen in this church cancer reversed, but we've also seen cancer stay. We've seen cancer leave. We've seen cancer come back. We've seen cancer lead to death. We've seen it all. We, we've seen pain relieved, and we've seen pain stay. We've seen addiction broken, and we've seen addiction re-enslaved. We, we, we've seen it all, but here's what we always see in those times. 
the person who is struggling alone, the person who makes the call, what they find is they find forgiveness. They find hope. They find healing in this community of believers. When they make the call for help, the church always responds. Fellowship Asheville always responds. And y'all, as your pastor, I'm telling you, it is beautiful to see. Now, James is going to give us a little case study. He's going to look at the person of Elijah because he captures this this tension that we can be in where where fear gets really, really loud. And, And when fear gets louder than the truth, we don't know what to do. Now, he's this prophet who also suffered greatly. He battled depression, especially after seeing God do this this incredible, miraculous event. Andrew talked about it a a couple of weeks ago and did a fantastic job on that sermon. If you haven't got a chance to listen to it, go back and listen to it. We also see that Elijah had some great times in his life. He had this school of prophets, right, where he trained them to what it is to be a prophet of God. In my mind, anytime I read about that, for some reason, I always picture the Jedi temple. I keep thinking it had to be something like that, right? And he was very influential of his time. If there were celebrity pastors, he, he would have been one. But let's look at what we can learn by what James is saying we can learn from him. In verse 16, it says this, Therefore, I mean, it says this, the rest of verse 16, it says, The prayer of a righteous man has great power, and it is working. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours. In other words, sometimes in Elijah's life, fear got really loud too. And he prayed fervently that it might not rain, and for three years and six months it did not rain on the earth. And then he prayed again, and heaven gave rain, and the earth bore its fruit. Now, James just summarizes this whole thing in just a couple of verses. But, but what he's referring to is a story that the readers of James would have known because they would have been familiar with the Old Testament. It's in, in 1 Kings, which is an Old Testament book, chapters 17 and 18. And in these chapters, we see that, that Elijah is showing this wicked king just how powerful God is. Because he hopes this king will lead the nation to follow God and repent from doing things their own way and turn to doing things God's way. And Elijah tells the king that it will not rain. And like we see here in James, James says that, that when, when, when Elijah said that to the king, it didn't rain for three and a half years. And then when that time came and Elijah, when God told Elijah, pray for rain, he did that. He prayed for rain. But here's the deal. If you know the story, He didn't just say, God, make it rain, and it started raining. God said, pray for rain, and Elijah prayed seven times. When the time comes for the rain to start again, here's what Elijah did. If you read those chapters, is that he bowed down to the ground, and he got on his hands and knees, and he prayed. And it says that he put his face toward the earth. And it even says that he had his head between his knees, right? So he is like down, down, down ready for God to do something. And he prayed and he said, God, make it rain. And he looked up and you know what he saw? Nothing. He didn't see a cloud in the sky. And so Elijah keeps asking for help and he keeps saying, God, let it rain. And then he asks his servant to look around and he goes, you know, do, do you see any rain? Nothing. 
And so he prays. He bows his head again and he prays. And he does that not one time, not two times, not three times, not four times, not five times, not six times. He does it seven times. He bows his head down and prays. And each time he looks up, there's nothing until that last time. And that last time, he raises his eyes up and he has his servant look. And his servant's like this. I think, I, th I think, yeah, there's a small cloud way off in the distance. And here's what's, what I love about Elijah's faith is that he looked at that small cloud and this wicked king is standing there and he's like, listen, man, you better get in your chariot and head down the mountain because if you don't leave now, you're going to get stuck in mud by the time you get down to the bottom. You see, church, here's the tension that we live in. We live in this tension where, where when we're waiting between God make it rain number two and God make it rain number three, God make it rain number four, we live in this tension where we're praying and it seems like God's not moving. And it's in that space where fear can get really loud, where we feel like our faith doesn't matter, where we feel like, where we feel like what we do doesn't matter. And, and, and as fear gets loud, that's that's what happens. And we want our prayers to be answered now, don't we? We want them to be answered now and we want them to be answered big. And we find ourselves in this tension where it seems like God is silent. We found ourselves looking up going, is there anything in the sky? And even when we ask for help, not yet sometimes is the answer that we get. James's command here. And highlighting Elijah is to keep praying. Keep praying and keep looking up for God to be working because one day you're going to see a cloud way off in the distance. You see, that servant said that cloud was the size of his hand. It looked small, but it became big and rain fell on the nation that day. You see, what started off as this small little cloud ended up as this full flood and deluge of rain. And so, church, James's encouragement to you and me during these times, times where fear is loud, times where fear asks us to hate people that aren't our enemy, times where fear asks us to be divided over things as silly as masks and hand sanitizer and physical distancing, and who you're going to vote for. Y'all, here's how silly this is. Who you're going to vote for is only going to be there for four years. Right? That is so temporal. Maybe eight, if you're lucky. Who knows? Like, it is temporary at best. And God is saying, y'all, there is something so much bigger. Don't let fear get a hold. Keep praying. And James's encouragement to you and me during this time of suffering, even during the times where, where things are going well, cheerfully, during these times, uh, during sick times, when we're all tempted to let that fear is this, that prayer is always there. James's encouragement is to keep praying because prayer is always there. Say it with me, church. Prayer is always there. And why is prayer always there? Because God is always there. Now, I don't want you to leave here today thinking 
that this relationship with God that we've talked about, this, this God that's always there where you experience this good and right and personal relationship is something that you can earn by praying enough, by doing enough of the right things. This is a relationship with God where we get to experience his goodness and kindness and, and, and mercy and discipline and love is only available through Jesus Christ. His death and resurrection paved the way for you to have this good and right and personal relationship with God. And if you want this kind of relationship, listen, no matter who you are or where you are, if you want this kind of relationship, no matter what you're going through, you can know that you have this secure line to God because prayer is always there. This kind of relationship can be started with him today if you don't have it by simply saying yes to Jesus by simply putting your life in his hands. Now, for those of you who have already said yes to Jesus, here's my question to you. Where have you let fear get loud? You see, it's during times of suffering. Is it during times of joy? Is it in this midst of this isolation? Is it when you're watching the news or reading the paper or scrolling through Facebook? Are you in one of those places now where fear is louder than truth? You see, church, no matter who you are or where you are, prayer is always there. So here's what you do. You keep praying. You keep looking for that small cloud the size of a hand that'll turn into a thunderstorm. You keep praising God. You keep thanking Him. Man, if life is good... Enjoy it and be thankful for it every day. Be thankful for God's provision for you. Acknowledge Him in all the great things in your life. And maybe for some of you, you need to make the call for help today. You need to shoot an email to the church. You need to ask the prayer team to pray for you. You need to talk to your growth group and get it out so that they can lift you up. And so let today be the day that you ask. Now, we do have a prayer team here that would love to pray for you. Our elders would love to pray for you. Your growth group would love to pray for you. Because when we do, we get to be the church that God is asking us to become. So church, let's not let fear have the loudest voice. Let's let truth speak louder. Let's pray. Jesus, you are a good God. And I pray for those listening, whether they're listening today on Sunday, whether they're listening later during the week, God, or whenever it is that they're listening, I pray that you would silence fear, that you would help them see fear as the liar that it is. And instead, you would give them truth to believe. And that that truth would be exponentially louder than any fear that they may be experiencing. And Father, that you would give them peace, maybe for the first time, that you would give them freedom, maybe for the first time. And Father, that that peace and that freedom would last. In Christ's name I pray. Amen. Y'all love being the church with you. Just keep in mind, it's Labor Day weekend. So for this weekend and this weekend only, we're not doing a Facebook Live. Uh, there's no FSM. There's no Fellowship Kids Zoom. All of that will kick back up again next week. Have a great weekend. Enjoy the weather. I love you, and I love being in the church with you. See you next time.